Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I felt like the Lord specifically asked me to speak today on us being a witness, each one of us, not me the preacher or us as a church, but you as an individual in your everyday life. I felt like the Lord asked me to share with you how you can be a better witness in the place where you live and work. And that's salt and light. Jesus said we are salt and we are light in the world. You know, salt gives flavor, it gives taste, it's attractive, it's nice, it makes everything better. If you've got salt, I don't know if you've been to a particular takeaway that's just across the road from here recently, but they've stopped putting salt on their french fries, on their chips, and it's not nice anymore. And if you don't get a little bit of salt, it's just a little paper packet that says a pinch of salt. It just tastes horrible. We as Christians, wherever we are, in our workplace, in our hobbies, in our sports, in our friendships, wherever we are, we're supposed to be like salt that makes everything nicer. Oh, I'm so glad Sue's here this week. The conversation's just so much more pleasant when she's around. We don't just degenerate into critical complaining all the time whenever Sue's here. That's what we're supposed to be like, salt and light, where we shine out something that's attractive and beautiful and good to a dark world. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to share on this today, and I must admit, I feel very challenged to speak about this. Um, often, normally, when I speak, the Lord gives me something to share, and then it's just a burden in my heart, and I've just got so much to share that I have to actually just decide what to say and what not to say. Today, I can honestly say I've prayed and prepared for this talk more than most, probably 30 hours this week, praying, crying out to the Lord, and just saying, Lord, what is it? And I've got lots of theories and lots of good talks that I've said before or heard before, but the Lord said, no, make it real for the everyday person. And I just feel like often when we hear a, a pastor or a preacher or somebody who's up front speaking about witnessing, they're talking about it from their own point of view. They're talking about how to present the gospel to large crowds, how to be an impressive speaker, how to be a, you know, a miracle worker and pray for the crowds and all this. And very seldom are we taught about what it's like to be just an everyday person in everyday life trying to share the gospel. And the Lord convicted me this week. He said, if you just speak from your own point of view, everyone will try to be like a pastor. And it suddenly dawned on me, that's true. How many people want to share the gospel? We have this sense in us, yes, I should be sharing the gospel. I should be telling others about Christ. When we go to work, we look around the workplace and we see all these people there. And most of us, many of us have a, a sense in our hearts I should be sharing the gospel with Bill, with Susie, with Boss Joe, whatever. I should be telling them. Do you have that sense? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. 
But I think most of us do. I think most of us, as Christians, know I should be sharing the gospel with people. I should be salt. I should be light. And then there's this crushing weight that comes on us. Oh, but I can't be like Pastor James or Evangelist Ian. Or, you know, I can't be, I'm just not like them. And so we shrink into our shells and we don't do it. Or we get all weird. <laughs> and we're at work and we're talking normally. Hey, did you see the football this weekend? Oh, no, what happened with that penalty shootout? And then suddenly some spiritual thing comes up in the conversation. Somebody's talking about Christianity or religion. And we change and we go, and the Lord says, and we just get all weird. And we're no longer ourselves. We're now talking in a weird fake voice. We're saying words we wouldn't normally say. Oh, thou brother sanctifieth, seasoneth brethren. And we're just all weird, you know. And suddenly people just, you know, this was, this was my normal work colleague, Greg, next to me. And now, what's happened to him? He's acting. And as a result, the world thinks that we're weird. Or they don't even know that we're Christians. Could that be true? I think it could. I think it could. He says in this little passage, you are the salt of the earth. You're supposed to bring flavor, taste. You're supposed to improve things. People are supposed to be attracted to you. Um, also create thirst. You know when you have lots of salt, it makes you thirsty for the real thing. We're supposed to create thirst. Uh, a friend of mine was sharing recently about a talk that he'd heard where this guy was saying, we're supposed to put, build wells rather than build fences. I, I think this came from Tyron Daniel, actually. He was the guy who came up with it. He used to live in Australia. And he said they have these huge ranches, and the sheep or the cows or whatever it is they're ranching sometimes wander off and they, and they go away. And he says, we can try and build better fences to keep them in. We can make our fences very strong and secure to try and keep the sheep in our, in our little enclosure, in our church. Or we can just build wells and they'll come to the water. Isn't that a good illustration? You know, we as Christians, we can try and build gates and fences. Where we say to people, you have to be this, you have to do this, you have to walk like this, talk like this, dress like this, believe this, be perfect, this, 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 and this, and this, and then you can come into our church. And we're better than you because we do all those things. Look how good I am at my fence building, but you haven't quite got there yet. And you know what the non-Christian world think? You proud, arrogant Pharisee. I don't want anything to do with God. Or we can build a well. We can say, look at the fresh, sweet, refreshing, living water that we have found and that we have from Christ. And they'll be drawn to that well. So, when I was thinking about this talk, I felt like the Lord said to me, Greg, how did you, Greg, get attracted to Christ? Because I was not a Christian. I was not brought up in a Christian home. My parents never took me to church, ever. I think I got christened. In fact, I know I got christened as a baby but I don't think I went back to church again after that. We just, we're not a religious family. And I got to high school, and there were a little group of Christians uh, who used to meet every week, uh, the Christian group. And I must be honest, I thought they were weird. I thought they were a bit out there, a bit unusual, a bit abnormal. They used to um, act funny, talk funny, pray funny. But you know what? I knew they were sincere. And they kept inviting me to Christian group. 
And then there was another guy who didn't go to that Christian group. He went to another church called Chris, who just faithfully, week after week, he said, Greg, come to our youth group on Friday night. Every week he would ask me, and I would always make an excuse, and I would always say no. And eventually I started going to his youth group, and I went once or twice to the Christian group, but I didn't get saved there and then. The Lord was working on me, he was impacting me, but I didn't get fully saved. When I had a tragedy in my family, uh, my dad committed suicide, and there was a Christian lady called Mrs. Prothero. Her son had been in my school class uh, a few years before, and she prayed for me. And I knew she was praying for me. I don't know how I knew. I think she might have sent me a little note or said something. I, I don't know how, but a, a, a mum of a friend of mine was praying for me, and that impacted me great. I just knew this lady cared, and she was praying. And I didn't become a Christian yet, but the seeds were being sown in my heart. I remember a minister with his white dog collar and his nice big robes came to visit me after my dad died. And he sat with me and he said, oh, can we help you? God. And that had no impact on me at all. A minister, a pastor coming to talk to a 15, 14-year-old boy didn't work. But the mum of a friend and people at school just inviting me and talking to me, even though they were a bit weird, they had an impact on me. I don't know if any of this is registering with you. How did you come to know the Lord? What was it that attracted you to Christ? Not the great preacher or TV guy or whatever. What, those little people that made an impact on you. Think about that because that's what we have to be to others. Just talking about TV, I must admit that when I was a teenager, I used to watch the 700 Club on TV late at night. At about 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, the 700 Club would come on TV. We only had one channel in those days. Amazing. And, and TV used to go off at about 11.30, and then it was just, just nothing on TV until the next day at 5 at night or whatever. It was amazing. But I remember watching the 700 Club three or four times and being deeply impacted that there's a God. He loves me. Something really cut into my heart. But I wasn't giving my life to the Lord properly yet. Then I went to boarding school, and there was a young guy called Rowan who was younger than me. He wasn't even in my year at school. And in the school that I was in, juniors did not talk to seniors. You had to almost, you had to call seniors sir or, or mister. I mean, it was really weird, the levels in our school. But he kept coming to me and saying, hey, why don't you come to our Christian group? Again and again and again and again he came. And eventually, the opportunity came for me to um, go through a course when I would decide whether or not I wanted to be a Christian. It was a confirmation class. And they said, do you want to get confirmed? And I thought, maybe I'll try this out. And I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for all those little seeds that had been sown and all those people and all that love and all those different things that had happened up until then. I went to the class and at the end of the 12 or 13 weeks, they said, right, you're going to stand up in front of the church and you're going to promise to be a Christian forever. And I thought about it. And the weekend before, I was still living badly. I, I went to a nightclub. I got drunk. I was beating people up. I was living a bad life. But the next week, when it came time to stand up at the confirmation class and say, will you give your life? Inside, I knew this was real. I knew God was real. I knew God was calling me. And I said, yes, I'm going to take this step. And I've never looked back. There was a small Christian group in that school, and they welcomed me in. They were friendly to me. They loved me. They discipled me. They helped me to grow. 
and I grew as a Christian. But I want to say that it wasn't a pastor who sowed all those seeds. It was people just around me in my everyday life who were being salt and light. I want to talk about a, a few things. The first one is the problem with us as Christians trying to witness. The problem with us, I think, there's a, well, there's a couple of things. Number one, we, we shrink into ourselves. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. It just gets trampled by men. The one thing that, before I was a Christian, that really struck me was a person who said they were a Christian, but they were so shy and embarrassed and just compromised and just lived like the rest of the world, but then they said they were Christians. Immediately in my mind, I thought, I'm, I'm ignoring you. I, I'm rejecting what you stand for. But a person who said, I'm a Christian, even if they were imperfect, even if they were weird, as long as they were genuine and real and sincere, that was salty to me. And I thought, there's something here that's different. My question to you, friends, is are you able, in those crucial times, not all the time, but in those crucial times, to, in a genuine and real, unweird way, say, yes, I believe that. No, I won't do that sin. Yes, I go to church. Come to my church. Those are the, the few little occasions in our lives where we get a chance to be salty. Not all the time. And it's not standing up and being preachy and weird and talking in funny language. It's being a real human being with faults and failures, just being ourselves, but every now and again being bold enough to say, yes, I believe that. No, I will not do that. Will you come to this event? Yes, I go to church. How do you feel about that? Are you able? Because if you're not, you may have lost your saltiness. You're just like the rest of the world. Amen? Is that all right? The other myth or the, the other problem we have is being weird. Um, it's just being weird. You know, we, we think we have to talk funny. Or we think... I don't know what it is. We kind of click into, somebody's told us, when you present the gospel, you must give this verse, this verse, you must say this, this, and this. And so we're talking normally, and then suddenly we click into robot mode. Romans 3, 23 says, Romans 6 says, and we just get all weird, whereas we're supposed to just be ourselves. You know, Ian and Angela, I don't want to embarrass them, but they're very good at sharing the gospel wherever they are. And the main reason is they're just themselves. They're just normal people but there's something real inside of them. And so my challenge to us is not to be weird and not to be unsalty, but to shine the light in a real way. Right, I want to talk about four things. The power of friendship or love. The power of friendship or love. Most people will come to know the Lord because you have a relationship with them, a friendship with them and they see love coming out of you. Most people. 
Most people will come to know the Lord. Maybe not through you, but you'll be sowing seeds and one day they'll come to know the Lord. But it'll be because they got to know you. You see, again, we watch the TV evangelist or the pastor and we think, I must just zoot in, find somebody who I don't know, tell them the gospel. They'll get saved immediately. They'll probably get healed of four different problems and then I'll go to the next one and I'll never see them again. That's not the way the gospel works. It works by somebody who knows you, who knows your name, who knows where you live, who watches you on a daily basis, sees how you handle pressure and stress and problems. They know you and they see love coming out of you instead of judgmentalness or weirdness. You know what the Bible says? Love is patient. Love is kind. Let me just read you this description of love from 1 Corinthians. 13, and you can just see how this shows the love of Christ and, and attracts people. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. Friends, if you're like that in your workplace, you'll be salt. If people who know you see that coming out of you, patience, kindness, not boasting, not thinking you're better, not keeping a record of wrongs, that will attract people more than, more than any five-verse presentation you've learned or more than speaking in a funny voice. I promise you, love, real love. And you might say, oh, but I, I'm, I'm weak and I fail and I get cross at work. And I... Yes, they know that. They know you're a normal person. But if there's genuine love coming out of you, people will be attracted to Christ. The power of friendship and love. Just real relationships. And you might think, oh, I'm a bad Christian because I'm showing this love, but nobody gives their lives to the Lord at my workplace, and nobody comes to church, I promise you, you are sowing seeds. One day, they'll get saved. You are sowing seeds today. We need to stop being weird and just being loving. And then people will come to know the Lord. And it's people you know. You know, there's people who you work with who never will hear the gospel any other way than by watching you. They'll never go to church. They'll never switch on Christian TV. They'll never have anyone else preach to them. You are the only chance they ever hear or they will ever have of hearing the gospel or seeing Christianity. Isn't that amazing? You're the only one. And it's because you're in the workplace. It's because you're there. You know, we've got this other idea that because the pastor told me how to do evangelism, or I watched the great big evangelist teaching me, therefore I have to do it in a church context. And so we think, how can I be salt and light? I know, I'll go on Sunday and I'll try and tell everyone about the Lord. This isn't the place to do it. This is the salt cellar. This is the little paper packet that says a pinch of salt. We need to tear that open and spread it around. We need to be out there in the world. Amen? This isn't the place to do evangelism. Many people, many Christians think my place to exercise my ministry of reaching the lost is church on Sunday. It's not. <laughs> it's at that hockey club you're part of 
or taking your kids somewhere with the school or, or at work or whatever, having a coffee at a coffee shop on a Saturday morning. That's where we do our ministry. And it's not preachy, it's love. Are you, are you okay with that so far? Next one. So the power of friendship. Second one, the power of inviting. The power of invitation. When I became a Christian and I joined a youth group, the youth leader said to me, there's this boy called Norman. James and Heidi know Norman, by the way. They said, there's this guy called Norman who's expressed some interest in our church, but he's not coming to church. He hasn't given his life to the Lord. Greg, your job is to invite Norman to youth group until he comes. And you know what I did? I phoned Norman, who I didn't know, but I phoned him every single week for about 16 weeks until he came to youth group. And he gave his life to the Lord and he's now serving God. I only went because people invited me and they were bold enough to keep inviting me. The power of inviting people is immense. It's huge. You see, the other problem with us thinking that I have to be like the pastor is we think I have to do it all on my own. It's my job to save Tim at work. It's not your job. It's a team effort. We all do it together. You do your bit. You show love. You invite him. Then when he comes here, other people love him, smile, look happy, are normal, talk to him about football. Then somebody preaches and he gets saved. And all of us have contributed. We need each other. We need to bring people in and all of us do it together. It's not one person's job to save people. The power of inviting is absolutely massive. Can I just say that if our church is not a place that you are happy to invite non-Christians to, then we need to change our church. If our church and things that we do and functions and life groups and whatever... If you're not comfortable inviting people here, then please come and speak to me or James or, or somebody. But we need to change so that you are comfortable inviting people. That doesn't mean that we all come here and have <laughs> cig cigarettes. There was a guy who came to the door this morning. And he said, oh, the, do you guys uh, have joints in this church? Can, can I get some drugs here? Why did he say that? I have no idea. Maybe the rumors are spreading around Jersey about this church. I don't know. But that's not the answer. We don't become like the We don't lose our saltiness. But we've got to be the kind of place where even if we're different, they are comfortable to come. And you are comfortable to bring them. And we should have events. We should have things other than Sunday meetings, which you can invite people to. We should be able to bring people, maybe barbecues, maybe life groups, social meetings, whatever. We should have things which people can come to, and we should all be inviting. I promise you, even if they reject you, even if they say no 15 times, eventually the, you'll sow a seed, and eventually the, there will be a result if you just keep inviting. So the power of invitation. Number three, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 which says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ wherever we go. 
think I might have that on the screen. Let's just have a look. No, I don't. Let me read it to you out of the New King James Version. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. In every place. Friends, God's plan and will is wherever you go, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ should be coming off, off of us. The way that happens is by us praying. Spending time in the Lord's presence but also praying for the lost. If you pray every day for the lost, maybe some specific people, but then also in general, and you spend time in the Lord, that fragrance of Christ just comes off you, wherever you go. And you don't even have to say a word. You don't even have to preach a, a verse, and people will be attracted to Christ. He says, wherever we go, in every place, He's always spreading the fragrance of Christ through us. Because we're walking in the triumph of Christ. There's, there's something of being in God's presence that causes us to smell and be like Jesus. We need to pray. We need to pray for the lost. This book of 2 Corinthians, I've been amazed this week. It's got so many verses about witnessing and reaching the lost. And one of them is in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. It says, the God of this age, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. What's happened is all the people around us who are not believers, their minds have this blanket from a demon over their eyes and in their minds so they can't see the gospel. We need to pray that God would remove that blinding spirit from their minds. And the more we pray, the same book, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, says, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So we have these weapons that can take thoughts captive in people's minds and remove mind-blinding spirits, and then the light of the gospel can shine in. If you pray for one person at your, at your work, they will see the gospel because the, the veil will be removed and they can then see the light of the gospel. Now, they may choose not to accept it, but at least they've been able to see it. The power of prayer. And then lastly, the power of testimony. The power of testimony. Can I just say, before I go into this, that technology is awesome. If you have a smartphone, does anybody have a smartphone? I'm sure most of you do. You can get a little app on your phone the one that I use is called The Four Spiritual Laws, but there's others about how to share your faith. And it's a little app that comes up on your phone. And if you ever meet a person and they say to you, how do I become a Christian? You just tap on the app and it gives you all the verses step by step. And then you can send the app or share the app to them so they get it on their phone. Technology is awesome. You can send people to websites where they can see. In the old days, we used to have tracts and paper stuff and you know, now it's available to all of us all the time. Technology is awesome. What about Facebook? You know, if you put not a weird thing and not over the top and not judgmental and not preachy, but you just put something nice about Christ on your Facebook page every now and again, 
you are sowing seeds to all those people who are friends of yours on Facebook. Awesome. Why wouldn't we do that? But not, not preachy, not judgmental, not on a hobby horse. You know how some of us get, well, vaccinations are of the devil, and we just keep putting that on our Facebook page. We just pick some weird thing and we just go for it, you know? That's not helpful. It's got to be salt and light. It's got to be attractive, tasty. <laughs> not just some weird doctrine that you just feel is your job to push. Can I just say, the, the whole debate going on about uh, legalizing gay marriage, that's a hobby, that's a di diversion. The main thing is the gospel, the love of Christ. That's what we should be pushing. We don't get sidetracked onto little hobby horses. Just show people we are loving and Christ is great. <laughs> All that other stuff is for another time. Amen? Okay, so the power of testimony. You will get given the chance every now and again. They're precious, these chances. They don't happen often, but you will be given a chance every now and again to share something that Christ has done for you with somebody who's not a believer. And you never know when that chance is going to come up. You can't predict it. You can't choreograph it and script it. It just happens. Ian often tells me about times where he's sitting in a pub and someone asks him a question. I mean, it, it just happens. And you just realize, I've now got a 20-second chance to say something about Christ. And your testimony is powerful. It's not a verse. It's not a preach. It's just something that God has done in your life. I was lost. I was depressed. I was looking for meaning. My family were alcoholics. I'd lost my parents. Whatever it was. And Christ gave me something that I needed that I couldn't find anywhere else. That is powerful. The power of your testimony is enormous. Revelation 12 verse 14 says, We overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And this is part of us sharing our faith. When we share a testimony of what Christ has done, or just... As simple as this, I'm going to church on Sunday morning. My life group is having something going on. That is a testimony. You're sharing something from your own life to a non-Christian, and it is powerful. You overcome the devil in that way. Can I just ask you a few questions? And the reason I'm doing this is I'm trying to get you ready to give a testimony. So are you ready? What was your life like before you knew God? Think about it, please. What was your life like before you knew God? If somebody asked you, what was your life like before you became a Christian? What would you say? 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that you have. We've got to be ready to give a reason. So what was your life like before you knew Christ? Are you able to give it in a, in a brief little way? Maybe a longer version as well, but just think about it. What would I say? What was my life like? Secondly, why did you seek Him? Why did you look for God? Thirdly, how did you find Him? How did you become a Christian? What happened? And it's not a long story. It's just something quick and brief. How did you find Christ?
Or how did he find you? What happened in your life that brought you to Christ? Another question, what prayers has God answered for you or your family? A specific example, a prayer that God has answered in your life. What has God done in your heart and your mind? How has God changed your inner being, your emotions, your outlook on life, your character, your personality? What has He done in your life? I'm, I'm just going to take this slowly because I'd like us to think about this. And if you think about it now and you get something in your mind, then when somebody asks you or when an opportunity comes, you'll be able to answer. So, what has God done in your emotions, in your mind? What has He done for you? How is your relationship with God a blessing to you? How is it a blessing to you? How is my relationship a blessing? Um, see, these are good questions to ask as well because they show us whether our Christianity is real life or whether we're just being religious. Because <laughs> if you can... If you think about this question, how is your relationship with God a blessing to you? And you think and you think, oh, it's not. It's not a blessing to me. It's actually just, I'm doing it out of guilt because my granny tells me to go to church every Sunday. That's important to know because that means you probably haven't found the, the real life, the blessing, the real relationship. What about the church? We're not asking you to say the church is perfect because everybody knows it isn't. But the church should be a place of blessing and we should be able to share that. I find friendships. I find other people who are different to me who I can be friends with. Whatever it is, there should be something about the church. Why do you believe? Why do you believe in God? Gee. Why? Why do you believe in God? Why do you, why do you worship like you do? Why do you clap your hands and raise your hand? Why do you why do you give so much of your money to God? Why do you go to church? Why do you waste so much time on Christian things? How has your attitude and worldview changed? So, the power of testimony is huge. Let me just close with a couple of verses here. Philemon 1 verse 6. In the NIV... It says it one way, which I, I really like. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Isn't that an amazing verse? Let me read it to you again. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Well, why? What if I don't share my faith? Well, the reason is so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. In other words, if I'm not sharing my faith in some way, then my understanding of what I have in Christ is deficient. I don't even enjoy all the good things I have in Christ if I don't share my faith. Wow. Could it be that your Christianity is a little bit weak and meaningless because you haven't shared it with anyone? Amazing. Amazing. Let's pray together. I wonder if the music team could come up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I wonder if you would pray with me. We don't do this often, but I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Just say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life you've given me. 
Thank you for saving me. Please help me now, Lord, to shine this light, to share my faith, to be salt to the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.